Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to another edition of Cavs the Blog Podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Smith. I just saw a guitar. It wasn't sorry. Uh, Cavs the Podcast. <laughs> um, and I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Ben Worth. And we have a 100th episode Cavs the Blog uh, Podcast spectacular today. Uh, this is Cavs the Blog episode, uh, or Cavs the Podcast episode 99. And Tom Pestak will be also recording later uh, Cavs the Blog Sorry, Cavs a Podcast episode 100, and uh, there's been 100 podcasts on Cavs a Blog, which is pretty cool. Man, you should have warned me. I would have worn something nicer for the pod. Well, I'm I'm sure you are in your best uh, your best opera suit. So this is, this is a uniform opera suit, like horns and everything, man. Right, exactly. So uh, we're just uh, waiting for Game Seven of Pacers Raptors to start here. It's been uh, a pretty interesting weekend in the NBA. We saw the Warriors destroy Portland today, and we saw even more convincingly the Spurs destroy the Thunder last night. And I couldn't stomach watching more than a couple quarters of each game at the most. I was I was looking up and down because it was just an annihilation. Uh, do you think either of those teams have a chance to even win a game, Ben? against the Spurs and Warriors. 
Uh, you know, actually, I feel like the, the Blazers have more of a shot than the Thunder after watching that first game. But that's, I mean, I can't, I can't honestly say that when you have, you know, Durant and Westbrook on the same team, you feel, I, I kind of feel like at least at home, they're going to get some of their role players to play a little bit better that uh, they can steal at least one game. But yeah. it was just, I mean, <laughs> it was I want to know an annihilation. what Billy Donovan did to piss Popovich off because he did not <laughs> call off the dogs. <laughs> I mean, uh, so he must have done something. Maybe, maybe he, when he jilted Orlando, uh, left a bad taste in Pop's mouth. And, uh, he he kind of exposed Billy Donovan as not a very good NBA coach right now because I mean, it's, was he the first to do, do anything? Huh? I can't. I can't really say that that uh, Pop is the first to expose Billy Donovan as not a great NBA coach. No, they. I really felt like they've taken a step backwards in terms of coaching this year. I mean, Scott Brooks, not a fantastic offensive coach, but was very good at making defensive adjustments. And Billy Donovan just. At, and I'm taking a little bit from the sports guy here, but when you've got Alfred Payne on your bench and you're running Dion Waiters as your backup point guard. Uh, that That's not good uh, tactics. So, Yeah, I mean, the fact that he, I think, I can't remember who mentioned that, but just this is the truth. They're running their closing lineup with Kander and, and Waiters and not just playing their starting lineup, which is their best lineup. Yeah, and I should have said Cameron Payne. My apologies. Yeah, yeah. Like, he... You know, I like Dion actually as a backup point instead of a, as a shooting guard because when he's forced right. to be more of a playmaker, he's always been. Uh, I mean, he gets to the paint pretty well and he's good at producing. And we saw that when he was a Cav. Like yeah, before, but the, the problem is that he is he becomes irrationally confident at times, and he'll he'll go on a big tear, and then he'll just take like three stupid shots in a row and shoot you right back out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's I think the thing that when he's really like put on the floor and they're, they're saying, "Listen, Dion, you're a point guard." That he he does that a little bit less, but but moreover, you just can't play him with Cantor. No, and they're playing him with Cantor and like huge stretches. And as much as we've complained about Kyrie and and Kevin together defend, defending that's, pick and that's, pull, that's I mean, a order of magnitude worse. I mean, it's just insane. And you know, it's not even because Dion is is such a, an awful defender, but he he and Cantor together reach a new level. I mean, Cantor's just awful. And the the pick and roll defense. I mean, Weber was going crazy watching that game, <laughs> and rightfully so. I mean, it was like grade school pick and roll defense. It was they just did not understand yeah. that they were popping or rolling, and occasionally they would bury it. And like the pop was just so ridiculously open, it, it was it was atrocious. Yeah, and and I I am very if I was a Thunder fan, I would be very concerned that Kevin Durant was walking out that door <laughs> because if I was Kevin Durant, I don't know what the motivation to stay is at this point. Well, it's money, man. Well, I, mean, I can't remember the actual details, but isn't it something of the magnitude of like 10 mil or something if he stays, like more than he well, could have? Yeah, it's an extra year, have. and then it's an extra year if you sign a max, 
and I think they can pay you like fifteen percent more. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best. The, the, the other uh, difference being, you know, what a lot of people expect him to do if he doesn't walk uh, is take a two-year deal and with a one-year opt-out because as much as the cap is going up this year, it's going up even more next year. Right. So, so, so like monetarily maybe, but, speaking, right? But I the mean, other side just... of that is he doesn't have to do that in Oklahoma City. He can do that for any team with a lot of cap room. So, but what doing that with Oklahoma City does is they get to keep his bird rights. So, and then his bird rights can transfer uh, to whatever team trades to him for him if they end up if he ends up trading for him, or if they end up trading him because he says he's leaving that kind of situation. So, so it's really only that because I was I felt like somewhere along the lines uh, line, I was led to believe that the disparity of pay between signing the one year or the two year with the opt out after this year, after this next year was so great that it was saving him huge amounts of money over the length of his later to sign deals. Like after the re-sign for the following season. Yeah, no two. So to take a deal year this, to take a two year max this year and then to basically re-get the max next year, right. if the NBA salary cap will go up by another 10%, let's say, so then add that 10% to every single year of his uh, his contract um, on top of you know what he's already earning, which I think will be 30% of the salary cap. So right. that'll be... Um, that could be close to thirty-one million per year if the cap is at like the projected hundred and six million. So right. Yeah. That's a, a pretty staggering number, but yeah, because for that I've always maintained that you know he's going to do that version of it. But as I am not a capologist or whatever the appropriate term is, like, I mean, is there is there a scenario where we see him forcing a trade? Um, so, well, the only reason that he might do that is is basically say, you know, I'm going to, I want to give Oklahoma City one more shot, but if it's not working out, I'm going to ask for a trade. But I, I really don't see that happening. I don't think he would do that to the city, and I don't think he, I don't know if it's in his advantage, in his interest that much to basically make the ta- team he would go to give up a ton of assets the way that Carmelo Anthony did, and then that team not have enough assets to be able to compete with him on their right. roster. So... I, I don't know if I'll, we'll see that happen. And anymore, you can't sign for that extra money with your own with the team that did have your rights and then get traded. If you do a sign and trade, it's it's not your basically home team max. It's the max anyone can sign you for. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, um, that, <laughs> that that that's kind of getting <laughs> off topic of uh, Cavs a blog podcast or Cavs yeah, exactly podcast. what we wrote down in our topic list. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, um, moving on, the Cavs start tomorrow against the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, just what, what's your general feel going into the series, Ben, about how it's going to shake out? Um, remember, like, watch a, a scary movie that is made for, like, eight-year-olds, only you're 14? <laughs> 
like kind of like that like just this feeling of yeah just i'm not scared i'm way too cool for this that's just <laughs> even if maybe once i'll be startled but that's about it like i think they could steal a game if uh tim hardaway jr and corver and base all get hot in one yeah basically one if they go yolo yeah like they just totally catch catch fire i i mean you know, they they do have that potential mm-hmm. um especially but, if schroeder starts hitting threes yeah my boy schroeder tom will have a fit if, uh, <laughs> if, if but he, he's, he has not played the Cavs well at all no no he has a tom's right with that i mean every time he is he has not played well but because he's it's, it's of, as tom and uh former ctb owner uh john crawlick said it's a bit of schroeder's cat <laughs> you know <laughs> it's not the same when observed <laughs> oh man yeah so he's I mean, speaking of people who are like too cool for school i mean he, he that's how he plays i mean he if he ever you know even it's just a lot of his body language makes you feel that even when he's really working hard especially on the defensive end i think the guy gets a little bit of a bad rep because on offense he kind of walks around like he owns the place and is yeah. sort of in, in half in slow motion sometimes and like looks like he's playing street ball sometimes. But yeah, on defense, is, as Christopher Walken would say, "The cock of the walk." <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, Nate. <laughs> so the uh, but on the defense of him, man, he really he really gets around screens much better than Teague does. He he's really hard to screen. That guy is yeah. is slithery. And he has enough come. length uh, that that he can bother guys. Uh, he and he has very quick hands. Yeah, when 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 Tom was doing that, uh, the I think you guys were talking about the best lineups in the league and like the best defensive lineups, and uh, that one defensive lineup with. Uh, with Schroeder and Mike Scott, which was kind of like the, I think it was one of the potent perceptions that you guys did. Mm-hmm. Like that stuck with me. Not, and it was like surprising actually that Mike Scott was on that. I actually that, really uh, like Mike Scott, even yeah. coming out of college. Yeah. But I mean, his, his knock a lot of it was his defense. And then when the fact that he's on that lineup and Schroeder was in that lineup, it was sort of like, all right, I mean, those, those guys are using their length in whatever that tandem is, better than, than maybe their reputation uh, has, has shown. So yeah. anyway, I think that he he has, I think the 5-5, five, five, I mentioned this, he has the ceiling that is still kind of unknown. And if he develops in a way that uh, is maybe less expected to that for the average fan, there's a chance that things could get a little bit interesting because he really can get into the paint whenever he wants to. Yeah. And he's uh, a an adequate. He's a a decent finisher, not a great finisher, but a decent finisher. And um, if he can hit a consistent jump shot, he can be very good. And there's a lot of Rondo comparisons, but I actually think he's a better scorer and not as good of a passer as Rondo, and not nearly as bit of a head as much of a head case. Yeah, it's interesting. The Rondo thing, I think, came mostly because he of his length and his his statement Lack of that he loved. Ability. <laughs> well, he loved Rondo, but he's really he's really a much better shooter than than yeah. Rondo was for years and years. Yeah, um, it certainly his, is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, his touch. Rondo worked really hard to become adequate in the mid range, but people still ignore him there because they're just still willing to deal with that uptick in percentage. Well, but, he's also regressed. 
in his last yeah. couple seasons as well. But uh, Dennis has got a pretty good release, and his, <laughs> his biggest issue is he just takes forever on the release, especially his three-point shot, which is that weird kind of set shot that just doesn't work. If he were to start playing my – I mean, he really should be the Tony Parker type. Um, he never gnashes it, and if he would put that into his game – uh, you know, the holding your dribble and, and probing all the way through and then carrying around, going out the other side. If yeah. he were to put that into his game, he'd become really difficult because he always is getting to the paint, but then he, he feels like, okay, I'm here. I have to finish no matter what, even when he has no shot. Right. And yeah, if he could Nash and, you know, run the baseline like Nash does and hit the trailers, he, he could be a very good player because he's got the guys on his team in Harf- Horford and Millsap. And even Bazemore, some that can do that, you know, yeah. that can, can that can move without the ball and finish uh, on the cut, and so that that takes us a little bit into, I uh, kind of we were going to go through the matchups a little bit. So the big, it's going to be interesting which team sticks with going big uh, for longer, whether it's uh, Atlanta or uh, the Cavs, and actually feel as if the Cavs have the advantage when they go small first and whether you put Love or Tristan Thompson at the five um, but Horford is a big is kind of a matchup problem for the Cavs at least offensively because he does like to step out and shoot threes now and he's shooting 40% in the playoffs and a little bit of that might be fool's gold because the Celtics kind of just conceded they are willing to live with that yeah. But uh, I, I think Horford might be their best offensive option uh, to run their offense through him. But because I feel like Millsap is at a big defensive disadvantage when he's playing LeBron or when he's playing Tristan Thompson or uh, offensive disadvantage. But Millsap can also have his way with Kevin Love. But Kevin Love's kind of traditionally played him fairly well. Yeah, so, he played him well during the season. Yeah, and and in last year's playoffs, he played him. Well, no, he didn't. They didn't play in last year's playoffs. No. no. So uh, Tristan Thompson kind of owned him last year. So so going through the Tristan, matchups. Tristan Thompson did not kind of own him. <laughs> he, he took every single lunch money he ever had. It was... <laughs> okay. Well, I, I was trying to be kind. <laughs> but, yeah, so let's uh, talk We're all about, about facts, the, Nate. Facts. Let's talk about the matchups a little bit. Do you think the Cavs are going to put Love on Horford or Tristan Thompson on Horford to start the game? You know, I, I think probably they'll, they'll put Love on Horford to start um, because I think they're a little bit more willing to concede that jumper that Horford takes than right. the kind of multi-dimensional threat that Millsap provides. And, and if you post up Horford on Kevin Love or you put him in the peck and roll... Horford is not the passer that Millsap is uh, yeah. when, when the double team comes. So, so there is that option. Um, in terms of, so you think it's going to be Horford on Love, and do you think they'll get cross matched on the other end? Where will Millsap guard Love, or will Millsap guard Thompson? Yeah, I think it'll be probably a, a cross match because they're going to want to keep Horford as close to the the rim as possible as a shot right. defender. And they're going to they need him to keep Tristan Thompson off the boards because Millsap yeah. clearly could not last year. Yeah, 
the um, offensively love i think has is is going to uh have an advantage in the post up against Millsap, but Millsap's defense this year has gone to another level, and so Love's Love cannot be slow on his release the way he can be at times. Uh, he's got to be really quick with the release, and he's got to get the ball up because Millsap is that team as a team is blocking in that first series eight point seven blocks a game against the Celtics, which is a really really that's good insane. Number. Yeah, 8.7 blocks and 8 steals versus Boston. Um, and part of that probably is the undersized uh, guards that, well, Isaiah Thomas, the undersized guard who can get blocked fairly regularly. But uh, Atlanta is playing some seriously good shot-blocking defense, and Cleveland is definitely going to have to keep their defenders honest with the outside shooting. I feel like the ins- the outside's going to have to set up the inside this game because if Cleveland can't hit from the outside then Atlanta's gotten very hard to score on on the inside with the way they're blocking shots so yeah I mean some of those Millsap defensive plays in round one or just throughout the season have been really impressive I I just his athleticism surprises me well and his he makes unbelievably quick reads yeah um I, I mean, he blocks shots as much with his uh, mind as he does with his anticipation, his basketball IQ, as he does with his uh, with his athleticism. Because he, you know, you can tell the way he plays defense and the way he plays offense. He's a student of the game, um, and, and not that this is supposed to be a Millsap love fest, but I think this year he was clearly the best player on Atlanta. And kind of the key to stopping it, or stopping Atlanta is stopping him. And he he definitely had some enormous games against Boston, and then had a couple terrible games. He had a forty six point game against Boston, and then failed to reach double digits in a couple a couple games as well. So it's gonna kind of be like, how is Millsap playing on offense? Is and the Cavs are kind of have to kind of gear their entire defense around that. Well, one of the things uh, that I find interesting about starters. Sorry, go ahead. And one thing I find interesting about the Hawks is that you know they're they're modeled after the Spurs, but there's a huge difference in that the Hawks. It seems that you can choose how they're going to beat you, and they're not going to be able to do that when you 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 can really dictate what you're giving up in a way that right. great offenses don't allow you to dictate. Right. And so there are times where it's sort of like all right against with with. With Carl Korver, he's shooting much better since the All-Star break. Again, he's, what, like 53 or something percent from behind the yeah. arc since the break. And so you can't, you know. You just know you're going to have to leave a guy glued to him. Exactly. And you if you're going to. That's the one guy you can't help off. Right. And if that opens up Millsap, then so be it. Or if one game you decide, you know what, actually we want to let that be Horford and the point guards you can shoot all day one of my you know the comical thing is anytime that a Hawks fan brings up the scoring numbers or the assist numbers that Teague has against the Cavs which and he had he averaged more points against the Cavs this season than anybody else that he that he played against because the Cavs never care <laughs> they're like no. you shoot like yeah, keep exactly. going and so it's it's too easy to well, choose it, it, similarly uh you know, there's a lot of guys you're going to say, okay, we're going to let you shoot. Kyle Korver obviously isn't one of them, 
but against Boston, Kent Bazemore was attempting three. I'm sorry, 6.3 three-point attempts per game. Yeah. Um, and only and not even hitting 30% of them. So any team in the world is going to live with that. And it, you know, meanwhile, uh, Mike Scott and uh, Kyle Corvers, uh both shooting very well from three. Um, you you kind of would think that a smart coach would would move Bazemore out, but I think they really like the energy and the fire that uh, that Bazemore gives them, and they're kind of willing to live with his YOLO nature on on offense. Yeah. That's part of the reason why Tim Hardaway Jr. scares me more than probably makes sense. <laughs> I mean, because he, he really does supply the stuff that Bazemore does, and but he's a much better shooter and is far. I mean, he you know everybody remembers his little uh, duel against what was it Dion right in the in the rookies game a few years ago, where. Wasn't that Dion and, and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr.? Uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago, right? And, but I mean, like, the point I is I like have great memory for uh, yeah, Rising I mean, Stars Challenge games. <laughs> oh, come on, man! Every detail, every pick and roll. I'm like, like Bill Russell with that stuff, man. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, I mean, the guy he can get really hot, but he also plays pretty solid defense. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, he has not been hot. Only shooting about twelve percent against Boston. Uh, yeah, three. I mean, and, and Bazemore is a much better finisher around the rim and a much better slasher. Uh, he Bazemore is more of a slasher that can shoot, whereas uh, Hardaway is a shooter that can slash at times. Yeah, um, and he also just he embraces the shooter role. I mean, he yeah. he comes in and he shoots anytime anytime he touches the ball. Yeah, but um, you know, kind of going back through the lineups. Uh, so we we talked about the big men a little bit. Uh, where do you? So we both kind of obviously Tristan Thompson doing his biggest damage as a offensive rebounder, and then on the second unit with uh, the pick and roll with Delhi, and even they've used him a lot as a lot more recently as a decoy, uh, and I I think I will expect that to continue because Atlanta really keyed in uh, at times this year on the and in the playoffs last year on the Delhi Thompson pick and roll. Um, and so, and you've seen them running that as a decoy a lot with LeBron trailing the action or, uh, you know, an off ball screen to screw up, free up a shooter on the wing, uh, and Delhi gets that ball to the shooter, um, or not even just to free someone up, just, uh, hitting the open guy when somebody crashes down or, and so, um, so that's kind of where we see Tristan Thompson doing his damage offensively. What about Kevin Love? Uh, where, do, where do you think the Cavs will will he be a secondary scorer? Will they try and run some offense through him in the post, uh, which we did not see a lot of against the Pistons, uh, especially later in the series? Well, yeah, I mean, as the series went along, we saw fewer fewer post touches from Kevin, but he still played a lot lower than than he played in the majority of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously sample size, but. The the thing that I'm that I'm really interested to see is whether the the lineup with with Love at the five and LeBron at the four uh, gets some burn against a team that it might even not necessarily be the best lineup against the Hawks. I mean, Tristan has had such a, a success against the Hawks that it makes sense to ride Tristan with that. But 
I think that that lineup without Tristan, with with Kevin and LeBron up front, can also have a lot of success, and it would also bode well for Kevin going forward as that five um, two run through the post. Because I think if you occupy one of those those shot blockers in in the in the block, if he's going against Horford or if he's going against Millsap, it it does open up things, and the the in the first round the Pistons were forced to double down on on Kevin after a while, mm-hmm. and the second that starts happening, I mean the Cavs really are impossible to guard if you have Kyrie catching on the weak side mm-hmm. or LeBron anywhere uh, with any kind of mismatch with numbers, especially if LeBron is hitting his jumpers. Yeah, um, so I think it's important for them to try to establish that and. If nothing else, run that lineup enough that it forces Kevin to play lower than he sometimes does when Tristan's playing. Yeah, and and one of the things I like, uh, Kevin Love's jump shot has looked really good. And if that jump shot, I think he will get as many uh, catch and shoot opportunities as as he wants, and he's just got to take advantage of them. Uh, I think that's one of the things. The Hawks probably are going to be like, okay, is he hitting him? Yes. If um, if he is hitting him, they'll adjust, and if not, they'll kind of you know lay off him a little bit. But Love's been he's been one of those guys so far, especially since the All Star break. When he gets hot, he gets incendiary hot shooting. Yeah. And uh, so, it, but he's definitely a streak shooter. So uh, hopefully, yeah, like you said, we see him down low a little bit, and I, I really like him. Um, at, at the five, uh, a little bit too, but I also like him. I'd like to see him a little bit with the second unit, um, because I I feel like he has a real advantage against a guy like Mike Scott or uh, or Greg Muscala or Mike Muscala. Is it Greg Muscala? Mike Muscala. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you know that kind of brings us to the biggest matchup uh, where I feel like the Cavs just have the most enormous advantage and that's LeBron and Bazemore um you know and the the question will be how much does LeBron play against Bazemore how much does he play against Millsap and then probably Mike Scott uh on the second line will be the guy Cephalosha and Cephalosha yeah exactly um and it all depends on you know if LeBron's attacking from the wing uh, you'll probably see more Cephalosha if he's in the post. Uh, you'll probably see more Mike Scott and uh, and Bazemore. But it's uh, it's definitely the Cavs' biggest offensive advantage. Uh, where do you think they'll utilize LeBron? Well, I, mean, I think I think hopefully they'll go back and forth or toggle back and forth between uh, when they go to the bigger lineup to LeBron at power forward with you know as the role man, which is you know my favorite version of LeBron with with uh, him and Delhi. Mm-hmm. But the when he's in the normal small forward spot, he's he's done a really good job of really kind of saving his threes for that left wing shot that he's been so consistently much better than his other spots. And so that does open open the floor, and his his off ball cutting has been a lot better. Um, I think what it'll be, what will dictate the Hawks' choices against him defensively is what the Cavs are doing to the Hawks defensively. So if Millsap is the guy who's forced to do all of the offensive heavy lifting because the Cavs are making Millsap the guy, 
then it'll take enough of that energy away from from Millsap that he won't be able to use that against LeBron on the defensive end because I think he really is the best choice for them to guard LeBron. But so I think that might be a reason why it would be in in Lou's best interest to really take away everything but Millsap to tire him out, make him the focal point on offense, and then mm-hmm. take away some of his legs to to guard yeah, LeBron. You really saw, especially against Boston. His legs kind of go away after that that forty six point night, exactly. and, and then he had to be a defensive force as well against Boston. So they may, uh, I, I think that's a good strategy because he is their best defender right now, and he's also their best offensive player. And in some ways, you know, if you can make him choose to have to be one or the other, uh, that, that bodes well for the Cavs. Absolutely. Um. And then another really interesting matchup, uh, Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith, whereas both guys are going to have to have their heads on a swivel off the ball. Um, you know, J.R. gets the majority of his points on catch and shoots and, uh, and coming off screens. And, and it's pretty much the same thing for Korver, but we've seen very dogged defense uh, so far in the playoffs and towards the end of the season by J.R. Smith. Uh, off the ball, chasing guys around screens and that kind of thing. So hopefully yeah. that continues. Um, and uh, that's just going to be a question of who who's hotter. You know, who who's going to get hot first between those two, and who's going to start. You know, how are the teams going to open up the floor for those guys? Uh, the Hawks run more plays for Corver uh, because he is such a knockdown shooter, but Jr. It usually comes off uh, secondary action, where the ball's gone inside first, or you know, on transition, that kind of thing. Uh, whereas, whereas Atlanta runs a lot of curl plays for Curver, Corver, and then if both guys go with the screener, then the or with uh, Corver, then the screener may crash um, to the to the basket. But he does seem to be a weird center pace to their offense in a way very few players who don't have the ball in their hands and aren't in the post are you know i haven't really seen a a team run an offense uh for a guy you know where the guy without the ball changes the direction of the offense the only other guy in the league is probably curry and clay thompson and then you've got corver and reddick in in the first quarter (laughs) yeah reddick in the first quarter exactly so so that'll be an interesting matchup and how well jr can stay with him and if he can't stay with him you know, you're going to see some Shumpert off the bench uh, going after him and some Delhi going after him off the bench. But I haven't been real impressed with uh, Shumpert's off-ball defense, so that matchup scares me a little bit uh, if, if yeah. the Cavs try and go with Corey. And I, th- I think you probably see it more likely that uh, Teague uh, be the one, Teague and... Uh, Schroeder be the ones that Shumpert ends up guarding. So, yeah, I think I mean Jr. has been impressive to me in his his effort chasing around screens. It's almost one of those things that as long as he's engaged off ball and he's really forced to do something at all times, he does a great job. If a guy starts spotting up, he he occasionally will lose the guy once he is you know his he's checking out to see what's happening on the strong side right but if there's he can get bored yeah but if as long as he's constantly forced to to be you know attentive then he does he's still doing a good job yep. um 
And I think I think that's basically a wash. I mean, I, I can't imagine. If anything, I, I think that Jr.'s ability to to put it on the on the floor every now and then. Yeah, really while, while it's not fantastic, and he's not one of the best isolation players in the league by a long shot, Corver is not at this age a very good individual defender. Uh, yeah, you know, so that there's a bit of an advantage there for Jr., especially possibly when he's running with the second unit. And there's also the thing is, is, is Kyrie's actually shown himself to be pretty decent at chasing around the screens yeah, as well, which which is hilarious because how is he, you know, he actually gets around the screens off ball far better than he does on ball. Yeah. Yeah, and and that'll be an interesting matchup, the, the Kyrie Irving-Jeff Teague matchup. Um, Kyrie's been ridiculously hot with the ball in his hands uh, this playoffs, and can score has shown an ability to score from anywhere and if that continues that you know if T having to do that defensively against Kyrie Kyrie's in a way Kyrie's offense could be his defense which which is very a very Kyrie uh way to play but uh where do you see the advantage there uh I mean it's all Cavs I think the the Atlanta backcourt is I mean, T to me is one of the most overrated players in, in the NBA, um, and he's not even that highly rated. I, I just don't. I don't like his game. I think his. I don't know. It, it, he relies. He shot forty percent from three this year, but he's shooting in the twenties or something in the first round. In the playoffs. Yeah, I think that you know that's where his true colors are. I just don't think he's a good shooter. I think he's easily stopped by letting him think that he's a good scorer mm-hmm. and just giving him as much space as he as he wants and you know mid-range deep whatever just don't let him collapse the defense and kick mm-hmm. and and that's pretty pretty easy i i think i mean he's lightning yeah, fast play, play under the screen but, yeah but just you know. go under and if, if Kyrie can get that through his brain and just go under all the time yeah. then the Cavs will be just fine if the Cavs and, can consistently control the pick and roll uh, by doing that, then they'll be okay. But when they've gotten in trouble with the Teague-Irving matchup, one of the ways they've gotten in trouble is if Atlanta isolates on Kyrie, where they run that play where they basically put one guy in the right corner and then send the rest of their offense to, you know, between the corner and the left wing, and then yeah. just isolate Teague up top, Kyrie Irving just kind of dies when that happens. Um it's not a good look for Kyrie. So hope, and he has a very hard time, of course, pushing Teague to his left hand. <laughs> uh, so hopefully your, they've had your personal. Uh, well, yeah. it just kind of drives me nuts. There's certain guys in the league that are uh, orders of magnitude worse with their offhand, and yeah. and Teague is not a great left hand finisher, and and it kind of drives me nuts when you. You know, some guys, it's 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 a pick your poison. I mean, LeBron, you don't. <laughs> he's he's almost a better finisher with the left hand now than he is with the right. I mean, as insane yeah. as that is, I mean, LeBron, you uh, can't pick a side. But uh, you know, a guy like T, definitely, you want to push him to his to his weak hand. So, um, I think and, that's that's where it's important where that uh, that Kyrie is better than maybe most people understand at chasing around screens yeah. because then, you know, depending on the matchups, you can, 
you know, you're not going to hide them on Corver, but you can put them on Corver and stretches. Yeah. And and focus on that. And yeah, let if you get engaged Kyrie, if you don't get engaged Kyrie where he's barking after not getting a call and then, you know, that play that drove Tom crazy earlier this year where he didn't get back and then Corver got, you know, two wide open threes. Yeah. Um, from Kyrie just being lazy in transition and barking at the ref, that that's where you really get in trouble. But hopefully Kyrie can... Uh, can keep the offense flowing and i i don't i i feel like teague's not a he can be a decent defender not a great defender uh schroeder is a better defender if i was atlanta i would actually be starting schroeder on Kyrie, but i don't think they'll do that um yeah. and then i think you're going to see more of uh schroeder and delhi which we've seen a lot over the last two years um and, and what do you yeah. do that matchup well, that's another example. I mean, Schroeder can, can blow by Delhi in any one-on-one situation. Like, Schroeder can blow by basically anybody. Um, so you, you have to be ready to help him help him out mm-hmm. in any kind of uh, ISO situation. Um, I think, you know, on the, on the other end, Schroeder can, can do – he really is a decent pick-and-roll defender, but he's still light. And uh, the same. That's really the problem with both of their point guards is that they're 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 not very strong. And, and so, and, and Delhi, that's Delhi is very strong. He's one, I right. would say he's one of the stronger point guards in the league. Yeah, he's he's incredibly. He has a lower his lower body strength is is really really great. And that's when he gets you on his hip. Part of that hesitation move is is part of he's able to do it because he nobody can knock him off his line when he's doing right. the hesitation dribble. And I think, you know, so for that, that's hard for them to guard. And then also, uh, you're not going to get, they can't really easily switch for fear that, you know, any of, you know, a LeBron back down and they're toast. Oh, yeah. So we saw that. Didn't we see that in the last game where they switched and LeBron was just backing down Schroeder? Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of shades of, of, or, uh, or the other up, one but. we saw, uh, was, uh, LeBron backing down, uh, Hardaway. <laughs> which was very comical. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, 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 they're going to have trouble with that. At the same time, there's a reason why they're the best defensive league or team in the league over the last, you know, since the All-Star break or whatever that is. I mean, they, they can they can really clamp down for stretches. Mm-hmm. But I just don't, I don't see how they can do it consistently enough to really give the Cavs real problem. Yeah, I mean, the big thing will be, as it has been throughout the year, if the Cavs beat themselves with turnovers, then they're in for a really long night. Um, if they can, you know, win ugly at times by not turning the ball over, I and, and just, uh, you know, defending well and, and scoring when they can, that's the kind of game that I feel like Atlanta can't win against the Cavs. And if they get in this helter skelter offensive match where the Cavs are kind of getting lazy and the game game's getting a little out of control, that's, that's the kind of game Atlanta wants. And they, they want the Cavs to turn it over and they want shot blocks. And if the Cavs can keep it, keep them out of transition, that that's going to be the big key. And yeah, uh, the Hawks are fantastic at early post-ups and transition. That's something you have to really watch out for them. Horford, especially always, he gets that early post position Mm -hmm. and transition really well. Yeah. And then, uh, can, and if somebody comes down, he's really good at hitting Corver on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so we've we've got those matchups, and I I really like the Delhi matchup. I'm hoping that he continues his solid play. I think a week off uh, is really going to have pay dividends for him. I saw him kind of physically worn down towards the end of the season at yeah. times uh, because he played a role off the bench, and then they really didn't have for a long time a third point guard. So he was still having to play in garbage time in a lot of games. And, you know, at least now they have uh, have McCray, who can play some in garbage time. And then as far as the deep bench goes, uh, is there anybody off the bench? I mean, the one guy I can think of that is kind of a question mark whether we'll see much of him is Channing Frye uh, for the Cavs. Do you think we'll see much Channing Frye? Yeah, I think it'll be similar to, to the first round in that if they're humming with the small lineup with, with – Kevin and LeBron up front, then RJ is going to get those minutes, and rightfully so. I think uh, you know RJ played his role perfectly in that first series. Mm-hmm. Had a couple um, of bad games, but it had a couple really good. Well, he had one bad game, one okay game, and then two really good games in that first. Yeah, series. I, I mean, he, his his defensive flexibility is important against and, a team and at like his Bucks. age is really impressive. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm surprised that, that just how well he still is is defending, um, and against a team with a lot of wings and and big guys who actually don't play that that big, RJ can can switch down onto Horford and Millsap more than he'd be able to switch down to a center position against other teams. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think I th- a team like uh, Miami would give him a lot more problems. Right, right. So you against know, Miami, those, where all those wings yeah. can just get into the post anytime they want. Yeah. So I, I think against the Hawks, he's got a, he's got a chance to get more minutes, and I, I would play him probably more minutes than than Fry because I want to maximize the love LeBron front court, mm-hmm. and then with with Delhi in there to run that pick and roll with LeBron with Kevin at the five. I think that's one of the most unstoppable lineups. If you have shooting, if you have JR, RJ, LeBron, and Delhi running the pick and roll, and Kevin at the five, I mean, that is, it's unguardable. Well, and then we hardly saw, in as as Tom pointed out in last week's uh, podcast, we saw hardly saw any of the Cavs' best uh, lineup in the regular season. Uh, the one with... Uh, Pre-Kyrie coming back from, from injury, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Delhi, LeBron, uh, Tristan Thompson at the five, and then uh, J.R. Smith and uh, uh, Iman Shumpert uh, was. A, I think that was the lineup. Wait, what? No, I no, think it's just I've, the I've starting lineup before Kyrie. So it's just Delhi, J.R., LeBron, uh, Kevin, and Tristan. Yeah, yeah, that was the lineup. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, we we should see some of that lineup too, hopefully. Um, so, you know, and then we've got the kind of the guys rounding out the, the parade for, uh, Atlanta, Atlanta plays a lot of guys. Uh, that's, that's one thing I feel as if the Cavs are going to have to manage their minutes better. Uh, you're not going to be able to see LeBron playing 40 minutes every game because, you know, even Tim Hardaway Jr. Who's like the 12th man still gets 10 minutes a night. Uh, for that squad, I mean, Tabo Cephalosha is getting 20 minutes a night. Mike Scott's getting 20 minutes a night, and uh, Dennis Schroeder's getting 20 minutes a night. So they run a lot of guys. Um, 
And if the Cavs kind of do this extended minutes thing they did against Detroit, I think it's going to burn them. I, and so I do hope to see the bench play more. A guy like uh, Channing Fry play a little bit more. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind even seeing a little uh, Jordan McRae um, just to see what he can give you, especially against you know these early second quarter lineups um, to see if he's going to give you anything. So where where would you like to put some of these minutes, though, I guess? Because one of the things that I liked about about Lou's rotation the last couple of games, so starting game two, is that he he stopped the Kyrie with the second unit experiment where Kyrie feels like he can just do whatever he wants and it it, it allows him to, to really satisfy bad habits. And he, re, he replaced that with getting LeBron out pretty early and having LeBron run with the second unit and then featuring the Delhi pick and roll. And I think, you know, when you have three guys and one of them's, you know, still arguably the best player in the world, let the get the best player in the world play by himself and let the other two guys play with each other. And that meant running Love and, and Kyrie a lot in the first and third quarters. Well, when I, I would like early. to see Amon Shumpert uh, okay. get his minutes ticked up and Kyrie's uh, go down. I think definitely Kyrie can go down from that 37 minutes a game. Uh, yeah. And Delavadova played 18, so there's plenty of room to give Shumpert and Delavadova uh, some extra minutes there. Um, I feel like Kevin Love can do some damage with the second unit against them and maybe that's when you take LeBron out uh, for stretches uh, but that, that's always been a dangerous because that's always been a dangerous uh, thing to try because sometimes Kevin Love just doesn't have it as the primary offensive option and if that's if that's happening you got to get away from it very quickly so um, so would you want to do that like the, the, the usual three or four minutes left in the first quarter, initial substitution, and then run through Love and yeah. get Kyrie out of there then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, okay. and come with Delhi and, and then the other lineup that you can run is the Delhi Tristan Thompson, uh, Channing Fry uh, on the other side of the court for the, for the safety valve, and then yeah. uh, uh, Richard Jefferson – and, you know, whether it's Shumpert or whether uh, you keep uh, J.R. Smith in there, there's enough shooting on the floor uh, to balance out that uh, Kyrie or that Delhi Tristan pick and roll. Well, I, I have a little bit of, I mean, that's that's without one of the big three. And mm-hmm. even though I don't like to call him a big three, and I think that lineup is a decent lineup against a regular season intensity. Mm-hmm. But I don't like that a lineup without... Kevin in there with TT, okay, or Kyrie in there instead of Shump. Like one of okay, the, I, I could see the Kyrie front instead of yeah. Shump there, yeah. or Kevin instead of, um, or even Kevin instead of uh, Channing Fry. Right, right, yeah. It just you know I just feel like Lou, if he plays Irving and LeBron high minutes, it's going to cost him one game because of the way because of how. I mean, the highest minutes on Atlanta last series was Millsap, and he only played 36 minutes. Everyone else plays about 32 minutes at most. And I just feel like there's Atlanta has the uh, ability to be a little bit fresher at the end of the game, uh, and, and it could hurt them in crunch time at times. But, you know, it, it always it's also a matter of managing those and, 
you see, I just don't want to see the prevent offense for Cleveland as, as the game's going on. And it almost cost them against Atlanta uh, earlier this year. And I don't want to see it. It just scares me. I, Atlanta is not Detroit. Atlanta doesn't have a hole offensively in their lineup. Like, uh, you know, they, they have no crutch like Hacka Drummond to fall back on against Atlanta. So I, yeah. I, I, I want to see the minutes managed a little better. I think, I think LeBron manages his own minutes basically. Well, and I don't mean that's to, true I, as well. Yeah. So not even, so beyond just the actual like, Hey, I'm playing when I want to play, but also when he's on the floor, part of the, you know, in the first half of the entire series against the, the Pistons, he played relatively hard on, on defense, but not yeah, really. He, he was in, he coasted. He, he is then, a, uh, he's a six gear player and he was in between yeah. third and fourth gear. Yeah. He, he was chilling on defense, but doing enough and shutting his guy down, but not necessarily shutting the other team down. So, because LeBron really does have the capability at times to shut the other team's offense down almost by himself. But, you know, he was shutting down his guy, which, you know, is already great. He was LeBron. And he was really facilitating an offense, and the offensive efficiency was was through the roof. And the defense efficiency, like you guys did on the potent perceptions last week, was was not. And in the second half, he kind of switches his, his gear a little bit, and he starts shutting down the other team. And then part of the, the rest that he gives himself is the prevent offense. So yeah. I have a I have a different relationship well, with I don't, the prevent offense than a lot I of people do. I, I don't the mind prevent it. offense. Yeah. But what bothers me is when they get into these, we're just going to throw up a shot. You know, I I feel like they prevent a little too much at times. Yeah, I, I guess with my issue with the prevent offense is if it's run if it's run by Kyrie, I don't want anything to do with it. But that's because I don't yeah, want Kyrie my offense. Yeah, so you like said what if, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, like in general, I just don't want him as the primary decision maker for the Cavs. Um, but if he's off ball and are walking it up into whatever action they're doing, and then they're eventually coming with, you know, ideally a Delhi LeBron pick and roll down the stretch, and then you know starting maybe with fewer seconds on the shot, whatever they want to do. To, to rest a little bit with that. That's totally fine with me. But yeah, if it's ISO Kyrie walking it up the floor, you know, that's that's a form that's a ring of, of inferno for us. And it's not good. Right. So um you talked about one of the things you didn't want to see was Kyrie, especially in crunch time, as the main decision maker. Uh what are some other things you don't want to see this series? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> From the so, Cavs, and also maybe some things that scare you that Atlanta can do. Yeah, so I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta is consistent in the action that they they do. I mean, so you know what's inconsistent about them is that they don't have great shooters at the at the backcourt position, and so when they're shooting well in the backcourt, then then they do really well, and they don't then they don't do quite as well. But their actions are are very consistent. Their early transition offense is really good. Um, they get into side pick and roll really quickly in, in early offense, early transition. They make a point to try to, to push in the open floor. Both of those guys are good. The Cavs occasionally are lazy, you know, in in stretches for stopping transition. 
and turning the ball over and then leading, you know, letting that stuff happen. In the playoffs, it's really hard. Like we've talked about, the difference between Cavalier basketball in the playoffs and in the regular season is vast. And in the Even playoffs, in the first just, half and the second half, it's vast. Yeah, exactly. They just don't turn the ball over anymore. And so yeah. if, if the Hawks, uh, you know, they're going to rely on early offense and early transition. Good luck. I mean, they're just not because yeah. another thing that they have to do, they have to sell out. They're such a poor rebounding team on the defensive side, especially against the Cavs. They have to sell out on the defensive glass to keep yeah, Tristan off the guys out. Yeah. Well, and it's so not it's just Tristan, it's LeBron and. And hopefully Kevin. Hopefully and Kevin. Yeah, and even even Delhi at times is. And we've even seen a little bit of of decent offensive rebounding from the backcourt from uh, uh, sh- you know Jr. and Shumpert and Kyrie are all capable of getting in there and getting a loose ball. So yeah, that's what the Cavs are a phenomenal when they choose to be are a phenomenal rebounding team and and possibly the best rebounding team and they have the capability to be the best rebounding team in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, because they have. You know, at three guys that can get ten rebounds on any given night, and then they have a a lot of guards that are are good, big, and strong that can that can get rebounds. They're not they don't have a lot of light players. I mean, Kyrie is probably the lightest player on the team. Yeah, and he, for his size, is a pretty decent rebounder. Yeah, he does he he does a, a decent enough job when he's engaged. And in the playoffs, I, I have less. I worry about Kyrie for getting you know too much hubris on the offensive side of the ball and maybe not having the greatest awareness on the defensive side of the ball in the playoffs. But I don't really worry about his effort in the same way that the regular right. season. You know, I mean, he he has been pretty consistent. He's a big time player. He is every time that he's in a big on a big stage, he steps up. I mean, he really yeah, does. And and one of the best closers in the NBA right now. Yeah. I so mean, I mean, we we have his rightfully, shooting and his free throw shooting at the end of the games is is really it's insane. phenomenal. Yeah. And so you know we have rightfully ripped Kyrie apart on many occasions for really good reasons. But as terms of his effort level in big games, I don't think that you know we still we haven't seen that yet from him. And so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that uh, that that's not going to happen. Right. Um, and so, you know, I guess the really the only thing I worry about is that, say he has a really hot game, going more ISO, and he, is this more fuel for the for his ISO desire <laughs> in fire? And he, you know, that we all know that he feels really good about himself when he does that, and it can win games for you. But I don't think it. Can but it can change, also lose games for you. for you. You know, it can yeah, also. I mean, you yeah. know, we t- I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago in that Detroit game where, you know, Kyrie just dribbled to the right corner for no reason. And then, yeah, he got fouled and it wasn't called, but you don't get foul calls in the last minute in the NBA on jump shots. Yeah. Um, and that's just a, a really bad decision. I I don't want – yeah, the, the overconfidence scares me. I, I can definitely see with you there. As, in terms of something I don't want to see – uh, LeBron's been doing a much better job defensive rebounding, um, but Atlanta's a team, uh, especially a guy like Bazemore, uh, Millsap, Horford, uh, all actually decent offensive rebounders that can crash the glass, uh, especially from the weak side. And and LeBron at times in the regular season was really bad at boxing out, uh, especially when he was a help defender. So uh, that that's one thing I don't want to see is is the horrible 
you know, slam tip slam offensive rebounds from Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bazemore's going to get a few of those. We're just yeah, and, and Bazemore seems to always get some of those against LeBron, and yeah. as does Millsap. <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the other thing I don't want to see. What, uh, oh, sorry. What do you want to see? What kind of plays do you want to see? Uh, I definitely want to see the LeBron Deli pick and roll. Um, I want to see. Uh, J.R. Smith, uh, put it on the floor a little against Corver. Keep him honest defensively. I want to see Kevin Love uh, at the elbows a little bit, uh, run, running those uh, dribble handoffs with LeBron and Kyrie. Yeah. And and hopefully the Cavs don't get away from that. Uh, I want to see... I want to see Tristan Thompson continue to be a very good defender. Uh you know, he's it's a completely different defensive assignment for him than it was against uh, Andre Drummond, who you were just always going to concede the jump shot against Andre Drummond. But yeah. Atlanta's bigs are much better jump shooters. So if Tristan Thompson's going to have to come out and come away from the basket more defensively, yeah. So uh, I want him to see. I want to see him make good decisions there. Um, I, I'm. <laughs> I want to see Mozgov, and I want to see him play well. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I'm I, still, I'm really thirsty on Mozgov Island right now. It's, it's it rough, is. It, it, the sun is beating down. <laughs> it's not rained in weeks. Yeah, it's it's all surrounded by water. Nothing to drink, man. It's rough. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it hasn't been pretty. So hopefully, if we do see some Mozgov, because I feel like the Cavs are going to need him. If they end up playing Miami, actually against Miami or against Toronto, I feel like they're going to need them against both teams. Yeah. So there's some um, there's some action that I mean, okay, the Thunder defense was just a dumpster fire. So watching plays be effective against the Thunder is not really indicative of a place quality, but. The Spurs run some stuff for for Marcus Aldridge that I really would like to see more from from the Cavs for Kevin Love. Um, out of the elbows, one of the things is really nice. I think what was a five four five four zero or something like that. You actually could see Pop calling the play out of one of the timeouts, um, where Tim Tim and uh, and Aldridge ran to the the elbows. Actually, maybe it was Dia, but as you know, regardless, um, there is the pass to the to the elbow, and right after the pass to to Diao, Tony Parker uh, drives uh, runs to the hoop and gets a, a back screen from Lamarcus Aldridge, and Cantor, who's you know brilliant at defense, <laughs> he's he's forced to. I mean, he's got a he's got a switch and help and defend the rim and for yeah, yeah, Parker's yeah. yeah for Parker's back cut and so and so DL finds Parker on the other side of the hoop and then both Westbrook and Cantor are kind of hanging around with Parker leaving Aldridge wide open for the jump shot yeah and the Cavs could run that option with Love they could run that option with uh LeBron as well uh from from that little uh what do they call it? The extended post, you know, where Jordan used to like to work. Yeah. Uh, the, 
so yeah, I mean, that that would be a great play for the Cavs to run. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, is that with with Kevin, if you just slide out, I mean, he, you know, LA loves that twenty foot area, but with Kevin, you could take it to the three point line. You and, take it to the three point line, or actually, Kevin's really good from about eighteen feet too. Yeah, we I mean, actually even throw him a bone. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a good uh, bank shot from there, from both sides of the uh, yeah. floor. So, and, and then the other one was that they actually run a lot of really cool baseline screens for, for Aldridge to get baseline jumpers. And a lot of times they'll, they'll have there's just a, a group of four guys underneath the hoop as the play starts with the guy up top with the ball. And the first guy coming out, it seems like the play is designed to get Danny Green a, a wing three or something along those lines after, after the baseline screens. But right after that action... There's a back screen from the other wing and so a double back screen on the other wing and then from Tim Duncan to free Aldrich going the other direction for the baseline J. And in for love in that position as well as the baseline jumper or the baseline three, like that kind of action. I haven't seen that much from the Spurs this year, actually. And they kind of just whipped it out. And it was just like, you know, it's basic Basically, yeah, well, it's, it's like stuff, they're running the, the the stack play in a in a yeah. court offense. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. And and it's the when you can do that for your big man because your big man can shoot, mm-hmm. it just it confuses everybody, and it, it's it's a beautiful thing. And I think you know so much of that the the parts are in place because you know the way that Tim Duncan plays offense now for the majority of his time out there is not so different than the way that Tristan can play it. Right. Obviously, you know, they can, when in doubt, they can let Tim Duncan do his old school stuff, but they don't do that 90% of the time. So right. the, the parts fit the same way. No, they do. Absolutely. And and that kind of brings us to one of our, our last points is, uh, does Tyron Lue have it in him to put those kind of wrinkles in the offense? Uh, I definitely, I I was shocked and very surprised. I definitely thought Tyron Lue was the superior coach in the Pistons series. And I, and I talked about this last week on the podcast a little bit. I really thought that Stan Van Gundy let his emotions get away from him uh, in that series and just seemed a little unhinged at times. And uh, I like Lou's adjustments. I like the way he controlled the series. Um, I think Budenholzer is another guy that can at times let his emotions get away from him. And uh, it, it'll be an interesting dynamic to see how Lou handles Buttonholzer because I kind of think the same approach of you know even keeled steady as she goes uh the Cavs really did not get phased against Detroit and Atlanta's going to try and junk it up in a lot of the same ways and it'll be it'll be easy interesting to see if if Lou can kind of continue his ascent as a playoff coach and I want to see some more offensive wrinkles uh we saw some great out-of-bounds plays in the first series uh I want that to continue uh, I want to see uh, plays out of timeouts continue to get better, uh, but but I've liked what I've seen so far in the playoffs. Yeah. I was I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh, what do you think of the Lou versus Buttonholzer matchup? I think I think it'll be okay. I think Buttonholzer is a great coach, but there is uh, there is a little bit of that. You know, you have to like your best players at least a little bit, or at least they can't drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think with with Stan and Gundy, it's a little bit of that problem. Is that you know I think he really likes Drummond. But it drives any coach crazy if you you're oh, yeah. handcuffed by the foul shot issue. Well, it's not just the foul shot issue, though. It's also 
he just does some inexplicable things sometimes. Yeah, and and then with Reggie Jackson, I mean, what oh, coaches yeah. don't like Reggie Jackson? So <laughs> that's you know, but of course, you know, if you buy the groceries, you can't did, complain did about you what you buy. Did you see the play that Tom and I were talking about last year or last week when? Uh, well, you so when you're international, did you get the Cavs feed or did you get the ESPN feed? Um, I think I got. Four. I think I got one. I mean, I think I get whatever this, the normal feed is. Oh, okay, like the ESPN feed. So you didn't have that one play where the uh, the Pistons missed three threes inside of. Uh, oh, you guys are talking about McLeod just like being incredulous. Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't Fred hear McLeod that. Was uh, like, what is he doing? <laughs> that was that was the, that was the game. And yeah, if I was his coach, I would just throw out the clipboard and, and walk away. So. Speaking of announcers, can we just be spared from the Barry brothers? For the rest of time, like, I, I just, actually like uh, uh, Brent. Uh, Brent is tolerable. John is. I, I actually is, like him as an analyst a lot more than I like him as a announcer. But yeah, no, John's the worst. <laughs> he's the worst. He's one of those guys. He's like, okay, if a guy makes a jump shot, then he's like, oh well, that's why you, you know you have a jump. I mean, everything that happens the previous play <laughs> is the the indicative game plan for the entire life of this player. Like it's just. A guy misses a shot, so like, well, that's why he's open. And then, like, somebody's like, well, he's shooting 45% from three this year. So maybe, like, it's like, dude, come on. <laughs> I can't stand the guy. He, is... he is the Dan Deerdorf of, um, <laughs> of the NBA. So, uh, you know, we've kind of covered the uh, the Hawks and the, and the Cavs matchup. So uh, kind of running through uh, the rest of the league right now just to wrap it up. Um, so you said Portland and can maybe win a game and OKC is is pretty much doomed uh other than the fact that you know Russ and KD could get hot for a game. Did, does Miami terrify you a little bit the way they played in that game 7 against uh, Charlotte or was I I kind of thought it was a little bit Miami was really good and Charlotte just realized they'd already lost the series by not winning in in I at mean, home. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who picked the Hornets in 7. Uh in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have said seven, whatever that whole six, seven thing. They, they really probably had needed to close them out in six. Um, I think that the, the heat, the interesting thing about after those first two games and everybody, the same people <laughs> were crowning them the greatest team and oh, wow, they're the East, the Warriors of the East now and the way that they're knocking down those threes. And then they start missing a few games, and then those same people are talking about how oh well regression to the mean. That's what we said the entire time. It's like no, you weren't. Like that's not what you're saying. Don't don't lie to us, Troop. Anyway, so <laughs> the the thing is, I think the Heat. There's just literally no way against the Cavs that Joe Joe Johnson and Luau Deng cause the same problems that they cause against other people because the Cavs match up well with that. You have LeBron, and it's it's not the same. No, what really impressed me about the Heat tonight was uh, was Hassan Dragic. Whiteside. No, okay. and, and Dragic, but Hassan Whiteside was phenomenal. Yeah. So the thing they're they're really good when you know you get the good version of Whiteside, obviously. And when, the good, he's when not, they have the good version of Whiteside and the good version of Dragic at the same time, they're yeah, very tough to beat. They're really hard, yeah. But you know, fortunately, that comes in so infrequently that it's it's not 
you know, it's not the biggest worry in the world. And they're shooting on the outside other than Richardson, who is, you know, as he, at this point he's proven himself to be a consistent shooter, even yeah. if it's a small sample size. I mean, the guy is just knocking down his threes. Yeah. Um, I still don't trust, you know, we, we saw Dang and maybe we saw not the greatest Dang. And we know, you know, he's capable of knocking down 40% of his threes, but the kind of threes that he was making in the series overall, I mean, that was a series of his life. I mean, that was incredible. And, and, or at least the throwback to, you know, 10 years ago well, when Dang was a legitimate, you know, first or second option. And how about Dwayne Wade in Game 6 hit just some unbelievably improbable shots? Yeah, I mean, Kemmer Walker almost put them to bed, and Wade really did. Yeah, I, I can't Wade stand Wade. would but not he played, go gentle into that good night. Yeah, so, you know, props to them. I think, obviously, there is something to be said for the, you know, the mental state of... LeBron going to Miami and all of that stuff. And I, I don't think it would be an easy series, even if just for that alone. But Terrify is strong. Like, or do they frighten me more than anybody else left in the playoffs? Yeah, sure. In the okay. East? In the East, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and and I, I have not seen enough from Indiana uh, or Toronto uh, in terms of a consistency, from a consistency standpoint, to think that either of those teams are really phenomenal uh i've I've been really perplexed at at the lack of consistency of both teams so we we will see what happens in that i mean it's a close it's a six point game at halftime isn't it oh yeah it is halftime i I tried i was watching for a while and then i had to like stop because i was really bad at talking on a podcast (laughs) so um uh thanks for the talk and uh any other final points you want to make uh no nah, man I guess I don't know whether it was caught before but people if you like talking about art creation and like Bill Simmons at all because we can talk about Bill Simmons again now <laughs> uh listen to the Louis C.K. Bill Simmons pod yeah yeah it was it was it was really good stuff from what you told me and uh, and I guess we'll table our Prince discussion for another night <laughs> <laughs> but uh, stay tuned for the hundredth podcast from uh, Cavs the Blog. And uh, as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Weird.